This is John Martinka and the Getting the Deal Done podcast series with my special guest today, Joe Fugere, the founder and CEO, CEO of Tutabella. Uh, you can find them at tutabella.com, T-U-T-T-A-B-E-L-L-A.com. And Joe's going to tell us about business lessons and his involvement with the community, much more. And we're going to start with Joe. Tell us a little bit about starting Tutabella and what makes Neapolitan pizza so good compared to all the other kinds of pizza we see and hear about. Great. Well, John, first of all, I want to thank you for including me in your podcast series. It's uh, always a pleasure to spend time with you and to uh, interact with not only you, but the people that you interact with. And you've introduced me to some amazing people. And I, 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 I'm sure that this podcast will result in even more of those introductions. So I, I just want to thank you for that. Well, you asked me about a, a topic that's obviously very, very dear to me. And, you know, Tutabella, you know, I, I think like all business owners and founders, I, I was going through a midlife crisis. I was 40, you know, for, mid 40s, 44 years old and uh, working in a, in a great job. I uh, was working for Starbucks at the time. Great company. But I felt like there's just, I, I kind of played out my life. Like, how is this going to play out over the next 20 years? And I thought, well, I can look back the next, at the past 20 years and say, I had a successful job. I had great bosses. Um, I, I, I did some good things. But I think what was missing for me back then was the, this idea of doing something meaningful. You know, how can I, in my current job, do something meaningful? And I really came to the conclusion that the only way that was going to happen for me was to start my own business. And I, I felt like I was at the age where I'd had enough experience behind me that I could, you know, pull it off. And that at the same time, um, I had years ahead of me. So I think that mid-40s is, 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 is a, probably a time where a lot of people are, are, are going through those same questions. Uh, I started um, in my, my training and background is in food and beverage. Um, I have a degree from uh, Washington State University in hospitality business management. And I, I just felt like I needed to lean on that a bit. Uh, when you're in the food business, you know, it's a high, high chance of, of failure. And my strategy was to find something, a category that was extremely popular because your chances of success were going to be higher and do it better than anybody else. Try to be best in class. So for me, it was pizza. You know, the two, two most popular foods in America are at the time and still are today, burgers and pizza. Um, burgers didn't really resonate with me. I'm Italian um, by heritage. And I started really researching. Uh, back then, Google was, was fairly uh, new, but I was using, using Google and, and researching um, the, the, the heritage, the background, the history of pizza and my grant it kind of aligned with what my grandmother had told me. She was old, old world grandmother who immigrated with her parents to Seattle in the early 1900s. And growing up, my, my grandmother had talked a lot about the pizza in Seattle and, and how it didn't compare to the pizza of her homeland. So that resonated with me. I started research and I discovered that the birthplace of pizza was right outside my grandmother's hometown. Uh, she was from Calabria, Naples is not, not far away. And um, the more I dug into it, I realized this is really something that the, the simplicity of ingredients, which I've always been a fan of, is, is respecting ingredients, keeping it simple, 
and, and cooking or preparing them properly. And that's what Neapolitan pizza is all about. It's only, you know, four ingredients um, in, in the dough. And the toppings are as simple as, you know, crushed tomatoes with a little olive oil and sea salt uh, and fresh cheese. And the more I, I learned about it, the more I, I wanted to bring that food uh, to, to Seattle and to my, to my family and my friends and my neighborhood. And that's, that's kind of where it started, very, mi very micro, uh, microcosm, if you will. And it just kind of grew from there. I went to Italy. I, I was introduced to some Neapolitan master pizza makers that had uh, been in the, where pizza had been in the family for generations and learned how to, to make pizza from the masters, brought those, not only those skills, but the, the commitment to the ingredients. Back in 2004, believe it or not, it was almost impossible to find Tipo Zero Zero flour, um, the tomatoes of Naples, um, and some of these ingredients that were key to even fresh beer yeast wasn't that relevant or that prevalent in restaurants. You could find it in bakeries um, um, in other places, but not in restaurants. So I had to really do my homework and be committed to getting the ingredients right and the technique right. So, you know, Neapolitan pizza is using these great authentic ingredients cooked in a, um, in, a, in a very authentic way. For example, you have to hand stretch the dough. You can't use a roller. The mixer has to has to be very slow. You know, Hobart mixers didn't work at the time because they were they were too fast. So I had to really have a commitment that other pizza makers didn't take. Uh, I was surprised that there were a number of Neapolitan pizza makers in Seattle that from Naples that took shortcuts when they got here because they just they didn't want to commit to the wood fired oven. They didn't want to commit to the mixer. They didn't want to commit to importing uh, Tipo Zero Zero flour. I was committed to all those things and opened my pizzeria in 2004 in the Columbia City neighborhood, which is uh, what affectionately is referred to as garlic, part of Garlic Gulch, the Rainier Valley, which uh, for many, many years was full of uh, Italian immigrants. Okay. Well, I know the oven plays a big part. How hot do the ovens get? For, and, and it's the char on your pizza that yeah amazing well you know people like to use the 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 target of 800 degrees fahrenheit but you can make really good neapolitan pizzas anywhere from seven to 900 and it all depends on how how big the fire is what the ambient temperature is how long the fire's been burning because the hearth is gonna you know warm up but i would say an average 800 degrees for uh, 90 seconds is all it takes to cook a Neapolitan pizza. Okay. So let's shift to business. Uh, okay. Last year, 2020, was a challenge for everyone in the hospitality industry, other than maybe just you can, uh, people with already had drive-through lanes. Uh, so you, you, built, you built a really good strategic partnership. And you maybe tell us quickly about that, but then tips on what makes a good strategic partnership. Yes, well, we were we were lucky enough. I, I would say we had we had just started in the beginning of um, the year, maybe the end of of 2019, to um, to work with QFC. I don't know if you or your your um, listeners and watchers un understand that that or even know that QFC had not opened a new store in over 10 years. So I think it was pretty under uh, uh, pretty much understood that they had grown a bit sluggish in their in, in their growth plans. They had been acquired by Kroger and I think we're just kind of trying to figure out what to do. But um, late in, in 
2019, they approached us because they'd really started to think about opening their, their, their next location, um, their, their first kind of new QFC and approached us and wanted us to run the pizza operation inside. They really wanted a beloved local brand. And we had, um, we, we opened a, a kiosk, which, which we call a grocerant inside the Kirkland Urban QFC. And part of that opening, um, they suggested that we might have a little grab and go section of our salads, because our salads are very popular in our restaurants, and maybe some of our pastas, lasagnas, and desserts. It turns out, John, that that little four feet of um, grab and go refrigerated space inside of our grocerant uh, kind of took off. And when COVID hit, the CEO, uh, Chris Albee, who's just an amazing person, by the way, if you don't, if you don't know her, called me up, I think the day after the re restaurants were closed down and, and offered um, a proposal. She said, what, what about expanding that grab and go program to more QFCs? Not the, you know, the pizza program, because that's a big commitment, but just that four feet of refrigerated space. So we we went from testing in a couple uh, stores to today we're in 40 stores, but I think in a matter of four weeks, we, we went from five to, to 35 locations at QFC. And today it's kind of a mainstay of our business. I mean, it's, it's growing rapidly. In the last year, we've seen almost a triple digit increase in same store sales in that particular program because people are trying it and uh, it's, it's working. And you know, grocery is all about trial. People try it, they love it, and they, it becomes part of the routine. But the second part of your question was about what makes a good strategic partnership. And that is that could not have been a better question, John, because I think what happens is that when you, when you partner with a big company, um, there's that risk of them kind of calling the shots for you. And, 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 and I have a mentor, many, you may, you, I'm sure you know him, and many of your, your, your listeners, watchers might as well. Uh, Howard Bihar from Starbucks, and you know he's always he's always been an advisor and a mentor. And one of the things that he's always taught me about my business is you, that we should control the direction of of the brand and where it goes. And if you if you to team up with someone else, be really careful to not give in to the pressure of them wanting to make it their brand. So I'd say that with any strategic partnership, make sure that you know what your goals are for your brand, and make sure that you don't lose control of it. Great advice. Thank you, Joe. I'm, I'm going to share with you when you're talking about the grab and go. I had a cup of coffee with a friend of uh, maybe three, four weeks ago, and I had something for him and I put it in one of your uh, salad containers that we had kept. And he says, oh my God, we get six or seven of their salads every week from QFC. And, uh, no, that's, the, that's, that's exactly um, my point earlier about trial. You know, our salads are more expensive, so they're they're going to be next. Our salads are roughly ten dollars a piece. They're right next to the five dollar salads that um, for you know that 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 are there for their they serve a purpose. Yeah. But when you compare them, you may be a little bit price sensitive to our salad because he's like you know a Caesar salad next to a Caesar salad. You know why is why is yours twice as much? But when you take it home and you realize that the lettuce is not gas flushed with nitrogen like the other salad or that um, the, 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 the cheese is shaved, aged Parmigiano-Reggiano, and the croutons are made with macrina ciabatta bread, and the dressing is made from, you know, real eggs, and, um, you know, it's just, there's a lot of love and, 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 and details in that salad, and it's twice as expensive, but you 
buy it, you taste it, you go, okay, this is it. So people might've been a little hesitant at first, they try it and then we see that habit growing and now they're grabbing two or three or four so that it can last them through the week. It's, it's awesome. It's, it's been awesome to watch the growth. So uh, personal sideline question, when is the Caesar dressing gonna be sold in the stores? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, John, about um, this whole grocery business. We, you know, people refer to it as CPG, you know, consumer product goods. And it's very different than restaurant. You know, the scalability is what drive is what is amazing. And a restaurant, you know, you build one at a time and it takes a big commitment, uh, capital and investment or, or debt or whatever it might be. And you got to train, you know, 50 people and you got to make everything from scratch. Whereas in the restaurants, everything's made from, or in the grocery stores, it's all made from scratch, but you also work with co-packers and, and there are some amazing co-packers out there that do high quality things. So we're talking to a number of co-packers. We're making everything ourselves now in, our, in a production facility, but we're talking to co-packers and you have to be really careful to make sure that they, they're, they stay true to the, the recipe. So Caesar dressing or Napoli dressing or, or jarred um, tomato sauces, uh, maybe our croutons at one point can all be done by a co-packer. And some brands have been very successful at it. And as you know, some brands haven't. You open a jar of something that your favorite restaurant and it doesn't compare. And we, we just won't go down that path. We won't put it on the shelf unless it tastes exactly like uh, the restaurant version. Okay. So let's shift topic a little bit. Uh, you and your company have been known for community involvement, uh, helping people to learn a career, uh, and even on, you know, political uh, advisory in the city of Seattle, whether they listen to you or not, I don't know, but uh, <laughs> about all of that. Well, even if they listen once, I feel like it's, it's worth the effort. And I think that, you know, just starting with the political and I'll go into community. Um, I really felt like small businesses needed a voice. I, if you think about it in politics, the workers these days have a great voice because there are a lot of unions, a lot of labor movements that are, that are really supporting and, 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 and representing the needs of the worker, which is fantastic. We need that. On the other end of the spectrum, big business is represented in politics because they can afford to hire expensive lobbyists. And those people are, you know, almost every day they're living in Olympia or DC, just, you know, meeting with legislators. The, the, the forgotten class, if you will, are those people in the middle, the small business owners are like not represented. Who, who represents us? So the mayor of Seattle, you know, and, and the governor um, has had this and now Patty, Patty Murray at the, at the national level, all kind of understood that business, small businesses are the backbone of, of our economy and need to be listened to. So I was um, selected as one of the co-chairs of the mayor's small business advisory council, the first one the, C the city of Seattle has had in its history. And I really feel like, like you said, not, we're not always listened to. Sometimes we're asked to support the mayor's uh, position, but, but more times than, than not, maybe 50% of the time, the mayor comes to us and says, you got to weigh in, you know, um, and what, 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 what are, what, what are we missing in this legislation? And, you know, they may or may not listen to you, but they're always asking. Okay. Talk about when it comes to community. It's just, I, I want to, I just want to recognize, you know, I think my, my, my mother for instilling in me this, this, this sense of generosity, you know, it's, it all started when I opened the doors 2004 and, and, you know, people come in and churches and nonprofits and community organizations, they all want help you know they they're, they're fundraising and they're looking for support and 
I just tried to find a way to say yes to every single one of them. I, you know, I can't write a big fat check uh, all the time, but you definitely can give a gift card or there's something you can do. And all I suggest to business owners is give those guys a chance to like ask. And, you know, I, there, think about what you could possibly do for a community organization. And it just blossomed from there. It, we, we now today have a reputation for being so community oriented and minded. And a lot of that has come from just being good listeners, you know, volunteering sometimes, you know, volunteering your time is as can be as impactful as sponsoring an event and volunteering doesn't cost you anything but your time. And I know that you uh, recently announced you have a fundraiser program for organizations that will sell your product and take a cut. Yeah, again, um, we that came from that came from COVID um, related um, opportunity. We had in the past been at one school in particular had uh, sponsored their uh, their Italian dinner every year by providing our tomatoes and pasta from our vendors. And we we this this year they didn't have that dinner, so they were scratching their heads and thinking, well, what could we do? And one of the volunteers uh, from the school had seen our grab-and-go products at, uh, at QFC and said, well, what if we like the candy bars or magazine subscriptions or, you know, Girl Scout cookies, what if we sold your grab-and-go items and your cocktails and your pizzas, because we have take-and-bake pizzas as well, and did them as a fundraiser? So the way we worked it was um, people placed their orders. We had a refrigerated truck that we borrowed from one of our vendors, and on one Saturday afternoon, we delivered all these uh, refrigerated items to the school and put it in their walk-ins and parents came and, and picked them up and they, you know, they, they made, it was a very successful event. We've now, that's now um, launched a new uh, fundraiser program and it's going really well. Good. We're still refining it, but uh, we're calling it uh, uh, something about pie in the sky or, or easy as pie. We're calling it easy as pie. Okay. Catchy name, and it's a lot healthier than uh, cookies and candy bars. Well, and the thing about healthiness, you know, people often throw pizza under the bus that is a junk food, but um, Neapolitan pizza, and you heard me in the beginning of this podcast, is, is part of the Mediterranean diet. You're using low gluten flour, extra virgin olive oil, whole milk mozzarella. I mean, these are wholesome foods, not junk foods. And I think, you know, we're if there's any mission that I'm, I'm out there to to, to prove it's to prove and, and to explain, or maybe to educate people that pizza is a, a wholesome food. So Joe, I've got two more uh, questions for you and topics. If you have any others, let me know. Okay. And I think I'm going to take a break and go have some Tutabella pizza left over from last night. I love that, John. <laughs> thank you. You've been so, such a great friend and customer. So I can't thank you enough. What's the vision for Tutabella with all that's changed due to COVID and restaurants and, you know, takeout, uh, delivery, uh, grab and go, et cetera. What do you yeah. see uh, for your next uh, right. half dozen restaurants? You know, all, uh, all businesses, uh, we're all supposed to have a vision, right? I mean, that's, people always ask, what is the strategic vision? And it, it is, it is extremely important. I mean, you have to have a purpose and a mission. You also have to have a vision. But I, I think one of the things I thought you were going to ask me today that, that ties into this answer is, what did I learn from COVID? Because I think that has affected my vision. And re 
regardless of what your vision might be and what your plans might be for the future, what COVID has taught us is that those plans can change. So if anything, being nimble uh, and being open to ideas and acting on things, I think that that our the business owners in general, I don't maybe, maybe I'm generalizing. Um, we we tend to analyze a lot, and we call I call it paralysis by analysis. We think and think and think and overthink. What COVID taught us is we had to act quickly on things, and I'm I'm going to apply that in the future. It's like it's okay to try something and fail at it and move on quickly. You, you, that's the other thing. Move on quickly. We've had to just. At lightning speed, we've had to make decisions. And so I'd say that my vision is to continue getting to develop products and our culture that goes with those products into more and more people's stomachs and minds and bodies and souls. I mean, it's, it's, it's just our brand has a, has, a, has a life of its own. I'm here as a, as a steward of that brand. I'm not, I have to kind of figure out what's the potential of Tutabella and let it do its thing just kind of be there to support it. You see yourself as a follow-up to that last question. You see yourself more as a restaurant or more as a provider of food by uh, multiple channels like QFC and other places and Costco, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it's funny you ask, because I don't know if it's more or less. It's going to be both. There's going to be some combination. And I think the marketplace will determine what that, what that combination is. Now, if COVID has allowed their, because of all the restaurant closings, 5,000 restaurants are going to be closed in the state of Washington because of COVID. That might provide a great opportunity for us to get, you know, to open more restaurants. I know that the CPG, the, the grocery channel, provides tremendous opportunity for growth. We're going to explore both. But so do airports and universities and hospitals and vending machines. And I mean, we're just exploring all of it, John. And that's what COVID has done is it's opened our eyes to things beyond restaurants. But, you know, I'm a restaurant guy, so there will always be that element of my business. Okay, so my final one is, and you've already answered this partially when you said, be nimble, do things, and be accept failure if it doesn't work. What other general business tips would you give to business owners and wannabe business owners? Well, I think um, I, I, I actually gave a, a lecture on this topic once, and that is do what you love. You have to love it. Imagine living your life and looking back and, and, and saying, I, I really didn't love it. I mean, I liked it, but I didn't love it. You, gotta, you just got to keep reminding yourself what you love. Write it down, even if you have to. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, do what you're good at. And, and those things should align. I mean, you got to find a way that if you are in love with something, and in my case, you know, let's, let's use travel, for example how can travel, which is something I love to do, you know, uh, uh, align with um, something that I'm good at, which is running restaurants. Well, we incorporate travel to Italy into our cultural immersion tours. And we, you know, we, we you just things, I love restaurant, uh, I love architecture and design. So you think about the things that you, I love gardening. So all these things do have a crossover. So you just try to find a place where they intersect. And then, I think the other advice is, is always do the right thing. You know, there's temptations out there. People advise you to, they, they think that, you know, you might get advice that something else is a smart thing to do, but you always have to come back to what your heart, you know, listen to your heart. You're never going to go wrong by listening to what your heart tells you. 
Um, and, and there's, you know, profit should be a result of doing the right thing. It shouldn't be the goal. It should be the result, I guess, is my final bit of advice. At least applies to me. Well, I might have to uh, plagiarize that with the heart. I always tell my clients when either buying or selling a company, go with what your gut tells you. If it, something is off, if the other side, you don't trust them, go with that. You know, Absolutely. You know, it's the heart and the gut. And uh, I think that's a uh, great philosophy to have. Thanks, John. I, I agree. And I think you, you practice that. I see that in, in what you do with your, your clients and, and the people that you surround yourself with. There's a lot of, there's a lot of heart in what you do. Thank you. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up again. This is uh, Joe Fugere with Tutabella, tutabella.com, the best pizza in the Seattle area. And I'm, I'm proud to have uh, Joe has become, Joe has become a friend of uh, my wife and, and I. So uh, again, the getting the deal done podcast series with Joe Fugere. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, John. Bon appetito. Yeah.